Ted the Egyptian, a so powerful parable by Dana Buck. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. At times our walk with Jesus can call for the courage to stand firm, not necessarily against physical attack, but often against the judgments, opinions, or ridicule of others. Ted, the Egyptian, set in the time of the Exodus, tells us an entertaining story about standing firm and doing what is right in the face of peer pressure. What do you do when you must take a stand against those whose good opinion you value the most? Ted the Egyptian, a so powerful parable by Dana Buck. Many, many years ago in the land of pyramids, an epic tale unfolded, one whose telling here now bids. It's a story of salvation, of redemption from the dregs, of kings and slaves and prophets, mighty miracles and plagues. But before we start the telling, lest we plunge too far ahead, let's meet the man we'll follow, for by his story we'll be led. First know that he's a soldier, a military man, accustomed to the orders of those higher in command. He always does his duty and rehearses his salutes. His uniform is spotless, so much more than most recruits. His service here, however, may be worth a closer look, for he's the second understudy subassistant to the cook. His weapon is a ladle, his battlefield soups, his objective putting vittles in the bellies of the troops. No spear is his to hurl, no saber his to slash, he's cutting only vegetables, he's slinging only hash. Yes, he's the commandant of casseroles, the brigadier of bread, the master of the mess hall, this Egyptian, name of Ted. Ted dreams of racing chariots and leading mighty forces, hair blowing in the wind behind a pair of charging horses. He dreams of days of glory, his ambition richly buds, but this spell is quickly broken by an endless pile of spuds. Then one day the chief cook shouted as he rang the assembly bell, when all the kitchen staff were there, he had exciting news to tell. We've just learned the king is coming, he intoned in awed inflection, to muster all his men-at-arms and hold a grand inspection. And there will be a contest. Every soldier will compete. He who wins this competition will be crowned the king's elite. Now, Ted was so excited. T'was the chance he'd waited for. To be the king's elite? The dream of all who train for war. Excuse me, honored sir, Ted shouted, feeling touched by fate. Where do I sign my name to enter and participate? You, the chief cook cackled, you won't be bearing sword or shield. You will be in my kitchen, getting mounds of onions peeled. We've been ordered to provide the many meals that they will need. There's no time to play at soldier with that many mouths to feed. With this unkind retort, Ted's dream was pushed just out of reach. As he absorbed this rude rejection, the chief cook resumed his speech. And when the games are over, there's going to be a dinner. After everyone has eaten, they'll announce and crown the winner. Ours will be the task, he said, excited to his marrow, to prepare exquisite courses to directly serve the pharaoh. 
His words oozed pride as pungent as intoxicating ointment. All felt the same, except for Ted, who knew only disappointment. And so that day, excitement ran throughout the kitchen crew while Ted morosely stirred a pot, mingling tears with turnip stew. And in its time, the day arrived. The army was assembled, so many feet and hooves and wheels, the campground shook and trembled. Contest raged across the field with sword and spear and axe, while lines and lines of chariots were staging mock attacks. Judges kept a watchful eye to give each man a measure. Ten thousand troops were thus engaged, all for the pharaoh's pleasure. And what of Ted? Where is he found as chariots race through curves? He's exiting the kitchen with a tray of hot hors d'oeuvres. Present these to the pharaoh, the chief cook brusquely instructed. Be sure that proper etiquette and manners are conducted. He turned back to the kitchen, then ordered Ted to scat and take his tray of dainties up to where the pharaoh sat. His head hung in depression and shuffling his feet. Ted set off across the campground with his load of bread and meat. Meanwhile, out on the concourse, the soldiers sheathed their swords to test their skills as archers, fixing arrows to their cords. They bent their bows together to let their missiles fly. The judge begins the countdown when something goes awry. One of the archers sneezes and wildly fires his arrow. It arcs and makes a downward plunge directly at the pharaoh. At that moment, Ted arrives and extends his loaded tray. The arrow strikes the platter and bounces harmlessly away. There's a pause of frozen silence as what's happened settles in. Then the pharaoh stands applauding, and all 10,000 join the din. Ted can scarce believe it. He's the focus of this riot. Then the king lifts up his hands, and all at once the army's quiet. The gods have rendered to me an escape that was so narrow. This man was sent divinely to preserve the life of Pharaoh. There's no need for further contests. There's no reason to compete. Then he fixed his eyes on Ted and cried, You are the king's elite. And so another cry was raised, was chanted by the soldiers, and Ted was swept away upon a sea of brawny shoulders. Soon all the land was singing, every troubadour and bard of the man who peeled potatoes, who's now in the palace guard. Yes, Ted's job is in the palace. He directly serves the king. No more dirty pots and dishes, and there's no more hash to sling. For no one works or toils from birth till in their graves. This is the land of Egypt. It's all done by Hebrew slaves. They do all the heavy labor, all the tasks that carry risk, to build the mighty temples or raise an obelisk. And bricks they make by thousands of mud and hay and ash. The work is unrelenting under the overseer's lash. The soldiers can be brutal. At times they strike or beat them. They bully, frighten, mock, harass, and otherwise mistreat them. Ted feels himself conflicted in the place he now enjoys. The other soldiers are his friends. He is now one of the boys. But he hates the shameful actions that can pass before his eyes, for he knows the pain and sorrow of being chided and despised. 
He keeps his feelings to himself, and this, because he fears, he'll lose the good opinion and the favor of his peers. Then one day he was patrolling, was out walking his rounds, when he saw a Hebrew slave who was working on the grounds. He approached the man who, startled, shied and quickly bowed his head. Don't fear, for, for I won't harm you. I want to talk. My name is Ted. The slave was quite astonished by this guard whose name was Ted. All the soldiers he had ever known just cuffed him in the head. This man seemed somehow different as he looked him in the eye and summoning his courage said, Hello, my name's Eli. It's very good to meet you, Ted replied with a suggestion. Let's move into the shade. I'd like to put to you a question. They quickly walked together to the shadow of a palm. Curiosity in Eli grew as his heart began to calm. Although this man's a soldier, he doesn't fit the status quo. So Eli asked of Ted, What is it that you'd like to know? Ted said, I see your people's fate. They're afflicted and abused. Your work like common animals and your freedom is refused. And yet somehow you carry on with dignity, move through it. I cannot fathom your resolve. I don't see how you do it. I want to know your secret. Saying this, Ted dropped his eyes. Truth be told, it's very clear. You've much more strength than I. Eli smiled and bobbed his head. Yes, I know the prescription. The secret is we cling to hope, he said to the Egyptian. God has not abandoned us. You may call me a dreamer, but I know heaven hears our cries. He'll send us our Redeemer. How can you be so certain? Ted asked this Hebrew waif. Ah, said Eli with a wink. <laughs> That's why they call it faith. Then Eli bowed and took his leave without another word leaving Ted to ponder and to grasp what he had heard. Can it be that strength is more than muscle, more than might, and faith the greatest weapon? Can this Hebrew slave be right? As Ted stood chewing Eli's words and thought about this notion, in the distance from the palace there arose a great commotion. So Ted sprinted up the hill on which the palace stood, through the gate and then passed the well as fast as he possibly could. He saw a group of soldiers and he hurriedly inquired, what's the cause for all this noise? What emergencies transpired? A man approached the Pharaoh, this man and just one other. They say he is a Hebrew and his companion is his brother. He turned a stick into a snake till it was quite a magic show. Then he shouted at the Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh gave a laugh and said, I'll keep my Hebrew slaves, and then motioned for a priest to toss the staff upon the pave. This staff also became a snake, and the priest could thus create him. But just like that, the Hebrew snake crawled right on up and ate him. And that was when all hell broke loose. The Hebrew pair retreated. Let my people go, they cried. Free them, they repeated. Because you have a hardened heart and your actions are impure, ten plagues will now descend upon all Egypt to endure. And when these plagues have run their course, you certainly will know that God himself cries out to you, let my people go. Ted could scarce believe his ears at what his comrades said, as Eli's words rang in his mind and echoed through his head. Is this the one who, Eli said, would come and liberate all the Hebrews from their bondage and from their sorry fate? 
Ted turned and walked back down the hill. He had to think a while. He walked until he came upon the waters of the Nile. He then kicked off his sandals and stepped in to cool his feet. But what he noticed next then caused his heart to miss a beat. The waters of the river, as they lapped upon the mud, appeared as red as apples. It wasn't water. It was blood. Ted quickly left the water, carried by his crimson legs, and once he was reminded of the Hebrews' threat of plagues. He ran back to his barracks. This was just too much for Ted. He jumped into his bunk and pulled the sheet over his head. Next morning, Ted awakened to the sound of angry voices. From the tone and from the words, he knew he'd face some anguished choices. The soldiers talked of rousting slaves and getting some revenge. Ted just lay there wondering, had the whole world come unhinged? Ted, get up and join us, one of the soldiers cried. The other men had weapons and were hurrying outside. Come on, get up, it's time to go and have a bit of fun. We're going to get those Hebrews, make them pay, and watch them run. You go on without me, Ted replied from in his bunk. I'm feeling rather poorly, and I haven't any spunk. All right, then, said the soldier. Guess we'll have to do the job. Then he rushed out through the doorway and hurried up to join the mob. Ted was truly miserable. His conscience told and rang, for he knew his doing nothing was no better than that gang. And as he blinked back teardrops in attempt to regain poise, from somewhere just above him, he heard a curious noise. A frog was in the window. Now, how did he get there? And then he saw another sitting fat upon his chair. They were hopping through the doorway, and Ted was just astounded. Frogs came in by hundreds until he was surrounded. Frogs were in his sandals and on his shaving tray, in his helmet, on his bed. <laughs> what a crazy day. For everywhere in Egypt, the land was quickly cloaked by scores of webbed amphibians who hopped and stopped and croaked. That was only the beginning of the troubles to arise. Coming close upon the heels of frogs rose swarms of gnats and flies. And just when all of Egypt was berserk from pests a-flying, another plague descended, and now all their cows were dying. The Hebrew came to Pharaoh. Ted had learned his name was Moses, and they argued as they shouted toe-to-toe -to -toe while touching noses. I'll never let the Hebrews go. They'll always be my slaves. But I'll tell you what I will do, the angry Pharaoh raves. I'll have them make one million bricks. I decree this is their quota. They must not fall one brick behind. No, indeed, not one iota. If they do, they will be punished. I have spoken. It's the law. Oh, yes, and just one other thing. They won't be given any straw. A cruel smile was on his lips, and the king's advisor smirked. Pharaoh felt triumphant, convinced this tactic worked. Ted watched from the foyer. The poor Hebrews, they were doomed. Then he was suddenly quite startled as the voice of Moses boomed. You dare to mock the will of God? For this you'll not be pardoned. God will show his glory through your heart so cold and hardened. You've called down further suffering, and before this process stops, you'll see hail fall from the sky and flatten all your crops. So when the sky is darkened, but the ground is white as snow, then perhaps you'll heed these words of mine and let my people go. 
Moses spun and left the hall. The room was deathly quiet. Pharaoh, in his anger, cried, I dare you! You just try it! The Pharaoh sought to calm his nerves. He loudly called for ale. Then all stared at the ceiling when they heard the sound of hail. As Moses passed the foyer, his eyes and Ted's did meet. Ted then hesitated. seems he couldn't move his feet. And in that frozen moment, Ted's conscience took a bruise. For as Moses left the building, he turned to Ted and whispered, Choose. And so throughout that day and night, the damage was inflicted till all the crops were crushed quite flat as Moses had predicted. Lest any disabuse themselves that famine had arrived, Twas then that hordes of locusts came and ate all that survived. And if that wasn't bad enough, this havoc on the soils, all Egypt woke next morning, covered head to toe in boils. As the country cried for mercy, and affliction came in waves, the Pharaoh's heart remained as stone, he wouldn't free the slaves. The people were despondent as they prayed for resolution, while soldiers in their anger sought out slaves for retribution. Cries of suffering filled the air and killed the evening stillness. Ted dodged this horrid duty, again feigning an illness. But how long could he avoid it? Could he stand and just refuse? He hadn't had much sleep since Moses grimly uttered, choose. And so the plagues continued. It was dark during the day. And even when the sun should shine, night wouldn't go away. Then came the greatest plague as yet, caused all to shriek and mourn. What shook the land of Egypt was the death of all firstborn. And finally Pharaoh felt regret for all defiance spoken. He had lost his eldest son, his hard heart completely broken. And so he summoned Moses as Ted watched him from the wings. Go now, take your people, take your cattle, take your things. As you travel, may you see the devastation left behind. Go now, go in a hurry, before I change my mind. Then Moses told the Hebrews all the things that Pharaoh said. They didn't even pause to add the yeast into their bread. They gathered up their families, each group, each herd, each flock. They all looked to the east, and then they all began to walk. Ted was just ecstatic. This was scarce to be believed. His nightmare now was over. He just felt so darn relieved. And he couldn't help but wonder, what's Eli feeling now? His faith has been rewarded like the keeping of a vow. I'm really very happy with the way this story ends, but there's still a little part of me that wants to be like him. Then early the next morning, he awoke to trumpet sounds, much milling and much talking and a call to gather round. The captain ordered quiet. They were told to form a line, and as they did, the captain shouted, The Pharaoh's changed his mind. He's commanded that the army find the slaves and run them down. Alive or dead, no matter. Tis for the honor of the crown. The soldiers gave a rousing cheer. Their mood was to attack, except for Ted, who trembled as the sweat ran down his back. Things only went from bad to worse that day for poor old Ted. He very nearly fainted at what next, the captain said. We have one here among us who's never known defeat. Of all the Pharaoh's soldiers, he was crowned the king's elite. 
I think it's only fitting that this mission should be led by the army's greatest hero, the Egyptian, known as Ted. At this news, the soldiers cheered, their reactions simply grand. The captain walked to Ted. He had a flag within his hands. This is the Pharaoh's banner. Into battle you will carry it. Then he loudly shouted, every soldier to his chariot. The men then took off running, climbed aboard and grabbed the reins. Ted cantered out in front. It felt like acid in his veins. He urged his horses forward, leading all the chariot crews. In his mind, one word repeated, and that word was simply choose. They rode full out for hours, just as fast as they could go. Then they paused atop a hill to scout the valley down below. And from this elevation, they could see there in the distance the entire Hebrew nation moving east with great insistence. The captain was elated as the circumstance got hotter. They're right here where we want them, between our spear points and the water. It's time to pull your swords and go after them like cattle. I call on the king's elite to lead us now into the battle. The horses, tense and ready, pawed the ground and shook their manes. But instead of charging forward, Ted bowed his head and dropped his reins. The Hebrews have done nothing to deserve our hate and ire. Let's turn our horses round and let them peacefully retire. The captain strode to Ted and getting right up in his face. You know that this is treason. Your behavior, a disgrace. If you do this, you're finished and you've got so much to lose. I've exhausted all my patience. It's up to you and you must choose. That word hit Ted like lightning. He felt his strength increase. His fear was now replaced by an unnatural sense of peace. He looked right at the captain and his smile was bright and broad. I'd rather fail in your eyes than in the eyes of God. The captain flared with anger. You fill me with disgust. Step down and drop your weapons. You're no longer one of us. Sit down here while we battle. And as soon as I return, he smiled a wicked grin and said, were I you, I'd be concerned. Then all the other soldiers looked at Ted with utter scorn. They turned and snapped their reins when they heard the battle horn. Ted sat there on the hilltop where it was so dry and bare. And as he watched the chariots, he softly said a prayer. I know that you don't know me, but I think that I know you. You're the God who Eli said that he has put his trust into. So if it be your will, won't you please just make a way and deliver all your people? Let them live another day. As for me, I'm contented. Why, I feel like I'm unfrozen. Ted looked up to the sky and said, I guess I've finally chosen. Then from down within the valley came a massive, awesome sound of wind and waves and water. Twas so loud it shook the ground. Ted worked to keep his balance, and this effort just had started when then, in one great moment, the entire Red Sea parted. As it did, all of the Hebrews very quickly started down, and right before Ted's awestruck eyes, they crossed on solid ground. And what of the Egyptians? What decision did they make? <laughs> well, it wasn't stop and turn around, and that was their mistake. 
for the waters closed upon them and embraced them not so warmly. And that, my friends, was that for the entire Egyptian army. Ted sat upon the hill a while to process what he'd seen. He felt himself remade, his very soul felt fresh and clean. He thought of Eli and his God, that thought was sweet and fine. If Eli says that God is his, then perhaps he can be mine. And as he watched the Hebrews fading east to parts unknown, Ted got up, brushed off the sand, and began the long walk home. As we've already seen, Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians 16:13, to be on guard, stand firm, have courage, and be strong, can be a difficult challenge. Even more so when we are called to do this in situations and relationships that are important to us. But in the very next verse, 14, he gives us the key to success. Do everything in love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8, Paul writes this classic description of love. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Are you being called to stand firm in an important relationship or difficult situation? Ask God to infuse you with the attributes of love found in Paul's beautiful description. The odds of maintaining the relationship and having a good outcome increase greatly when we follow his commands in scripture. But no matter the outcome, trust that God will be there and work his will in you and in your circumstances. God is love. And in the words of Paul, love never fails. <laughs>